the construction industry in Sweden is uh, represented 10% of our BNP. It employs 350,000 people every year and it represents one-fifth of Sweden's climate emission. But at the same time, they almost have no uh, requirements in sustainability. And that's really interesting because all the other huge emitters in Sweden have a lot of laws and a lot of regulations. But construction kind of just, they're below the radar. Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Don't forget to follow Instagram account to see the stories behind the scenes. Then also subscribe the YouTube channel to see the live talks. Let's get in touch on LinkedIn. Share your reflections with us with Urbanistica community. Recommend the podcast to people you think are interested in Urbanistica topics. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome one more time Amanda Bornica to Urbanistica podcast. Hey and welcome, Amanda. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you so much for giving your valuable time to record one more episode. I'm really happy to see you ERL. Yeah, but me too. I mean, I loved our first episode. If you haven't checked it out, please listen to it. But this is going to be even better, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now we have a lot of inspiration, a lot of power to... Are you ready for a new episode? Yes, I'm def- definitely. Yes. And again, I wanted to say thank you so much because... We recorded our first episode when I started the podcast. So it was a big pleasure to have you that time and now more pleasure to have you. Thank you. So Amanda, you are our storyteller and you're our superstar for this episode. How would you like to introduce yourself and please tell us what are you passionate about? Oh, my passion is actually making people passionate about things that they don't care about. That's really my, that's how I explain my job as well for people who don't work in the construction industry. Um, I make people passionate about things that they don't care about, mainly our environment and our planet. Uh, I call myself the um, like sustainability profile of the construction industry in Sweden. I was uh, awarded with the environmental award, I guess, uh, of the year, last year. And this year I will be awarded with the uh, environmental innovator of the year. Wow. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. Amanda, tell us about yourself. Like, when did this passion grow up? It has always been there. It's not a specific moment or a specific uh, realization where I just, oh my God, now I'm going to work <laughs> with sustainability. Not at all. It's been uh, pieces of of the puzzle all my life. Small events, small indicators. And then suddenly I just realized that oh, this is exactly what I'm going to do. So uh, in the beginning, I was just an entrepreneur. I had a jewelry design company when I was 13 to 18 years old. And not until I was 18, I realized what overshoot day was. I think we talked about that in the first episode. So then I decided to end my jewelry company because I thought that I, I couldn't buy pearls from China anymore. Now I need to... I I can't do that. It's not a sustainable business. And I've dedicated myself to sustainability ever since. 
And why did you choose construction industry as a field to work with? Okay, I'm very uh, strategic. So when I decided to start my own consultant firm after my master's, I kind of overlooked all the industries and all the already environmentally people out there. And I couldn't find anyone for construction, demolition, or like heavy industries in Sweden at all. And I thought that was really interesting. So that's kind of why I decided to go construction. And then it's it was so obvious for me to do it as well, since I've always been in waste management. And then you kind of end up in construction anyways, because there is no more hazardous waste or not bigger volumes anyway yeah. you have to go to the construction industry yeah so you 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 checked the market or the the industries here and you you found that there is a gap there mm, yes and this is your mission to to how to say to inspire people in this field mm, yeah exactly and the construction industry in sweden is uh, represented 10 percent of our bnp so it's a huge industry it employs 350,000 people every year and it represents one fifth of Sweden's climate emission. But at the same time, they almost have no uh, requirements in sustainability. And that's really interesting, interesting because all the other huge emitters in Sweden have a lot of laws and a yeah. lot of regulations. But construction kind of just they're below the radar before I entered, of course. Now <laughs> we try to make uh, the industry as transparent as possible. But uh, I realized that that was a problem and I, and I wanted to do something about it. Yeah. And what did you study for your master? Is this something related to what you work with now? No. And uh, of course, a bit. Uh, I have an environmental uh, science degree. Uh, I majored in environmental communication and conflict management. So I've studied specifically how to communicate about sustainability problems. This is very smart. Yes, very <laughs> smart. <laughs> so very tell smart. us about your daily work. What mm. do you do nowadays? Uh, I kind of call myself as a personal trainer, but in sustainability and for companies, because that's kind of what I do. It's more than consulting or more than just advising. I coach companies to decrease their climate emissions kind of as exponentially decreasing as possible. Um, one company that I'm most proud of is a demolition firm called CS, where we, uh, we kind of converted their entire machine fleet to be fossil free, mainly wow. el um, just electric machines. And that's so cool because everyone told me that it was impossible to do. It's, it's a huge investment as well. Yeah, kind of, but not really. It's the investment was never a problem because you earn back that money as soon you put out the machine in a project, then you earn back that money. So it's it's not as big as investment as you can think. But Amanda, what do you mean by you're not only advising, you're coaching? What is the difference? For me, there is so much more energy in into a coach. Um, usually the things that I... I kind of call the, the regular environmental person for uh, a woodpecker, the, the bird, the woodpecker. that And they, it's almost that they always shame. They have a very negative communication. Even if they're advising, they're just focusing on all the negative aspects of how the transition is supposed to be at that company. And I have a totally different approach. 
I do the opposite. I only focus on the successful traits. So instead of measuring maybe a decrease in waste management, I only measure how much material we are reusing. So that's kind of how much CO2 we are saving and not only decreasing, like how much we save, like a carbon sink. And that is so interesting because suddenly we have a way of measuring how the project gets more successful for every time. It's not only about being less bad anymore for the construction industry. We're actually getting better for each and every project. So it's a totally different way of thinking. It's another storytelling. Yeah. Or communicating, as you say. Yes, it's a different way to communicate. Yeah. And how old are you? 20, uh, 25? 20? Uh, 26. I'm, 26. I'm turning 27 in October. Well, congratulations in advance on a happy birthday. Yeah, thank you. My question is, when you enter this field, construction, and it's it's very tough. Do people listen to you? Yeah, of course. And I think that the construction industry being tough is kind of a myth. Myth. It's depending on what kind of approach you're entering with as a, yourself. Like my mindset and my leadership is perfect for the construction industry. It's the just the right energy that the industry needs to get kind of like excited for the climate transition that they need to do. So age haven't been a problem so far, not for me. And it's the same with the equality issues and stuff like that. Like I haven't really been that, I haven't faced those problems yet. I didn't, I didn't need to, but I, I also have a different communication to the, employees or to the men in general because i only have men so far i haven't met yet another girl or woman in the yellow clothes out on the construction site i'm always alone yeah because th this is the background of my question is that when i'm reading a newspaper related to your field what i see is the seniors people and i really don't see young people and especially i don't see young women mm. So when I, when I, it was one day I saw your picture in the newspaper, we're like, wow, this is fantastic. So what is your message to, let's say now the focus on females that mm -hmm. want to enter this industry? Maybe they are afraid. Yeah, exactly. And you absolutely don't have to be afraid. And it's, I think that's for every industry that has a very old um, or senior, <laughs> senior generation to it, that you shouldn't be afraid to enter it because then that's kind of the industries that need you the most. You have a unique perspective and that is high, highly valuable for that industry. Kind of in the same strategic way that I choose construction industry above anyone else because I know that my perspective will be so unique there. Even as a sustainability person, but also as a young person or a female person. So always look for situations where you can be the unique one if you want to stand out and make a lot of impact. And also only 26 years old and so many awards you were winning yes. all the time. Mm. Can you tell us the list of your... <laughs> I, I would love to hear. I think there are eight, but I'm going to try to <laughs> I remember. remember them. <laughs> uh, Environmental Award of the Year, uh, Sustainability Talent of the Year, under 33 years old, uh, Environmental Innovator of the Year. We have... Um, like the recy recycle person of the year. I remembered half. I remembered four right now. <laughs> but uh, that's the, the prizes that I have won 
the others are I've been nominated, nominated. for, but not not one. Mm. May I ask because I get a lot of uh, not uh, a kind of opinions that tells it's just because you're alone there as a female that's why you're winning these awards. What is your reflection about this? Yeah, of course, but some of the award has been pink washing as well, and I have been doing a lot of criticism to uh, some of the awards, especially the environmental innovators uh, that I received just a few weeks ago, because um, I feel like that was definitely pink washing and not really about the environmental work that I do. It mainly because I was a female, and I base that only on that the same um, authority that gave us the award. The demolition company that, that I work for, they kind of don't, they don't hire us for their jobs. So even though if we are the, the best environmental demolition company there is, they even awarded us for it, but they don't hire us because they think we're too expensive. Okay. So that's some of the awards. It's definitely, definitely just a marketing or a PR stunt for those who, who, who will give out the award. Yeah. So I always have to be very careful and um, socially responsible, very aware of that some companies or some authorities will only give me awards or try to uh, kind of work with me because that's in increasing their, I don't know, equality work or how to say it. Yeah, or they that just want to be shown on my social media. So it's just because uh, Amanda has fans, a cool name, popular name, let's give her a word so we get even more followers or something like this. Yeah, so I'm very strict. I have like a quality insurance uh, thing always for my uh, collaborations, even the price, uh, the awards that I'm getting. If they don't pass my quality insurance check that I do, then I don't work with them. I don't even I don't accept the award. Wow, that's this is actually the first time I hear about this uh, that you're refusing award just because it's not really the truth or matching with the reality. Yeah, no, and it's like our values doesn't match. Yeah. So then I don't I don't take the awards. It can also be about uh, maybe not pinkwashing, but I feel like maybe there is some other. I mean, my environmental work is. Stunning. I mean, there are a few people who have done the sustainability work that I've been doing for the amount of time. It's very unique. But I also feel like it's weird that the industry tries to award me like eight times in a year. I definitely feel that there are more people to lift up. But I get the I get the prices because I'm white, blonde, and young. I got you. Mm -hmm. Tell us about, uh, like, from the field with the construction workers and demolishing. Tell me more from, from the field. What do you do? Oh, I have so much. Basically, what I'm doing now is telling people all the materials that you can reuse from a demolition site. And it's basically everything. It's just about the will or, like, what you can sell, basically. And you can sell almost everything. Like everything you sell and we can reuse it and building new stuff? Yeah, exactly. Like the construction waste, uh, bricks, the wood, all the stones, asphalt. You can reuse anything. Yeah. How is the policy now in Sweden? Because you mentioned before you enter this field, there was not really tough policy. How is it mm -hmm. going now? The, now I, I was part of a project that kind of wrote the procurement laws in Sweden. 
So now there is a circular flow of reuse from construction sites, which which is really cool. It's one of the uh, one of the environmental board of the year was for that project. Cool. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. D- but you, I definitely get some criticism from companies that kind of have their whole business on uh, taking out natural resources from our planet because now they can't sell as much as they did before because now we buy more reuse waste. Mm. So definitely some criticism for them, but. I mean, this is not the first time Sweden or Stockholm or the world has made a transition like this. Uh, The climate transition that we are doing now is kind of similar to the digitalization that we had in the 80s. There was also a transition. People thought it was impossible, but it turned out kind of good. It will be the same with the the climate transition that we're doing now. Awesome. Amanda, there's so much positive energy coming out from you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome to talk to you. So tell me what happened during the COVID-19. What did you learn? What what are the challenges? Mm. The COVID-19 has been horrible to uh, uh, both my company life and my personal life. I've lost three people this year. I'm sorry for that. Uh, Thank you. But it was two colleagues and my grandma passed away. So, so hard to work with behavioral change and sustainability when you have that loss so close to you but at the same time it it became so real very quick so our everything that we did to prevent the pandemic in Gothenburg was so it it worked better of course because we were so careful Mm. and did it affect the field the construction field or Mm, the construction field in general yes Uh, I think the the project starting is down with 20% or something like that. But at the same time, most of the pro- uh, production lines have increased. So the, the demand for concrete, wood, stone, all that have increased for Sweden because we are one of the few countries that our factories are still running, Yeah. even though we have the pandemic because all the other European countries probably like closed down. Yeah. Uh, so we're selling a lot of materials, which means that we're going to build more in like six months or so. Uh, I learned that conflict management and environmental, like how you communicate about a conflict is very similar to how you communicate about sustainability too. In like the old way of how you communicated about sustainability. Very alarming, very like not comforting and not positive at all. But I think most of the work that we did in Gothenburg about the pandemic it had more like my style of communication and I think that's why it went so good we have very few cases at the construction sites this is the the positive energy mm. through the communication yeah exactly yeah, it's not only about being like positive as you're being glad and have a lot of energy it's a very strategic way of using positive valued words to kind of unlocking behavior in people mind in people's minds I mean, it's basically just um, understanding your target group and what they value. Mm. Uh, one very easy example I have for myself is when I when I was a kid, I never had homework because homework is so boring. Like you don't get really excited when you have high homework, five, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I call it the the fun hour after school, and then I always got super excited about it because it was a fun hour. I was supposed to learn something new, and the learning process became more creative as well because I had a fun hour to learn something new. 
Yeah, so it's like a psychological trick or mindset. Exactly. Trick. So if you have something for you who listens, if you have something that you think is very hard or something that you struggle with right now, try to just change the words in your mind how you think about it. And you will immediately be more positive mindset to approach your your yeah. struggle i will try this i love it yeah yeah of course it's very it's a very common way when you talk about uh, building confidence in yourself it's exactly the same thing like if you if you have a lot of negative thoughts on yourself you just switch them to something positive so every time you think something negative about yourself you also have to um, con- um lift yourself with something positive and that's then you kind of become this uh at the one time it all will be even and then you will turn positive as well and that's this exactly the same thing that i've been doing for the construction industry in sweden like making it a more attractive business to be yeah. part of and not that negative so i build confidence and self value in people but also in entire industries that's awesome and you always like giving lectures talking you have also a fantastic podcast i love it oh thank you i'm looking forward to season number two by the way (laughs) do you listen to people yes how do you do that Uh, my favorite uh, inspiration for my rhetorics is drag queens actually drag queens uh, because they have a formidable way to just demand the stage or demand everyone in the entire room just by a few words. Very strong charisma and, and talent on that stage. And I never hear people in, get inspired either from drag queens. So I love that as an example. It gives me an, an edge that nobody else has. And how do you listen to the co-workers on the construction side? Oh yeah, of course. I mean, that's one of the unique ways of my leadership that I, I have a constant dialogue and deliberation with my coworkers, and that's the same with the woodpecker that i mentioned before the woodpecker never listens it's very militant you always like tell people what to do with like your whole hand like order 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 yes a lot of order exactly but the rooster as i call myself i'm more like the rooster like an alarm clock that just wakes <laughs> up the construction sites in the morning and now we're going to talk about environment and we're going to have so much fun it's very easy and creative it opened up dialogue so just by asking them what do you need to be successful in this sustainable situation and when they feel like they are part of that transition and that journey they will also be more key to change their behavior so you're making people part of the story instead of forcing them to get in a sustainability exactly. story. Exactly. I don't force my storyline on people. I make them a part of my story or, or the journey. Yeah. And sometimes I also feel like my coworkers or the employees that I coach, they are the experts. They are the experts on the construction, demolition, and reusing all the materials. Like They know so much. And they are the expert that helped me do my job, not the opposite. I think a lot of uh, environmental people or leaders in general have very high thoughts of themselves. And I have a very humble, humble approach Yeah, and love taking in the employees as experts instead. Amanda, I'm very inspired by your work, the way you're, 
your leadership and the way you're listening and also coaching. And it seems like you're doing everything according to your plan, a very smart strategy. But I still believe that you're facing a lot of challenges. Tell me about these challenges. Yeah, of, of course. My my favorite uh, motto, though, that I have, that I, I say it to myself every day when I turn on my computer, is that I can only fail upwards. So even if I have a challenge, I don't see it as a challenge, probably. I, ju- I see it just as an opportunity. Because challenge would be like a negative-based word. So then I have to change it to something positive to always feel that I can approach it. So I can only fail upwards. I always see it as a learning process. Mm. And tell me about these opportunities that you're facing now. Mm. Right now is mainly about making the construction industry in Sweden climate neutral. That's like the so many opportunities. Is it tough? It's tough. It's mainly, but that's kind of what I wanted to do with uh, converting a machine fleet to be total fossil free. Because that's really one way to become yeah. climate neutral. One other way would do to do it would be to uh, reuse so much materials that we kind of become climate neutral because we have reused mm-hmm. too much material. Yeah. That would be a cool way to do it. That's going to be the next project, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine this is also a big project. Do you think you're the only responsible one for doing it? Who is responsible for making this happen? Basically, the Swedish government, they have put on, on a goal that Sweden is supposed to be climate neutral until 2045. I always say that that's like too far ahead. I think that we can start a quarter to nine tomorrow morning. We don't have to wait <laughs> to 2045 the year mm. um, but I can never say that politicians are responsible for this and this because I'm not a politician myself like I have to look at the the industry itself and see what I can do with my leadership and my responsibility that I have within my borders Yeah, and one way to do it is to talk to politicians like ask them or tell them to come look at our machine fleet for example because a lot of people told me that it was impossible that the machines would break down that they don't have the same capacity on like the bio biological um what's it called i don't know fuel uh your biological fuel let's call it that Mm. the hydraulic oils but we made it and the machine works fine nothing wrong with the capacity yeah so everyone acting from their position with the resources they got. Yeah. They don't exactly. need to wait until they get in politics or in government. Then they act. No, exactly. And you don't really have to be a climate activist either. It doesn't have to be that extreme. There's very few things that you can do as uh, a private consumer to become more sustainable. You mm. usually talk about uh, the food, eating a bit more less meat, uh, biking to work, investing in in sustainable pensions and what energy do you uses you have in your house yeah that's the four things that you can do as a private consumer that's the the most impact you yeah. can do the rest is just not as much impact yeah yeah and now i would love to talk with you about uh, my favorite topic smart city mm. and i'm really excited because uh, you have a special point of view so i would love to know from you how do you define a smart city Wow, a smart city for me would probably be definitely have uh, flows for circular waste, 
definitely have definitely have a different approach on uh, pop tech, com tech, all those kind of stuff. Or did you have something else in mind with the smart city? Well, I have uh, so many things in mind. Right. But for me, the f- the main thing is that uh, people are smart, not the city, not like the applications. Uh, but we are smart, as you mentioned. Like we are smart in using our resources. Yeah, of this course. This is a smart city. And a smart city for me is kind of like putting the people in the center as well. Yeah. Mostly, like, what's the center is today in most cities is like the car, where to park the car, how we're gonna drive around with the cars, and the people, the need of people is not put on as a priority. And I think that's really interesting. What happens to a city center or a, a smart city mm. when you put the people of that community first and how you build around that. How is it in your uh, home city in Gothenburg? Do you feel, uh, you told me you're biking a lot. Mm-hmm. And tell us about the bike lines there, how they're separated or merged. Exactly, because in Stockholm, you kind of bike and drive at the same lane. And in Gothenburg, it's the opposite. You always have a separate bike lane and a separate lane for the cars. I think that's amazing. I feel very safe. So I bike uh, all the year around. Gothenburg have a special mm, kind of like a program for everyone who wants to bike in the winter. Really? So you can apply at the municipality for funds and then they pay for your winter tires, the helmet, maybe some reflexes because it's very dark in Sweden <laughs> in the winter. Kind of like living in a freezer, a closed <laughs> fle- freezer. Very dark, very cold, but they they make it possible to bike all year round, which, which is really cool. This is really awesome. Yeah, super nice. How do you make your industries smarter? Uh, with dialogue and communication. I often talk about uh, sustainability as a soap bubble. Like you have kind of a clue about the trends, what people to talk to, what are the major things happening right now. But in the construction industry, it's more like a, a big metal ball. You have no idea what happens inside of that ball. So most most of the stuff that I do is just about making it more transparent. In Sweden, the construction industry is definitely the least digitalized industry. At the same time, it's the most corrupted industry that we have. So just building trust, communicate about our industry and making it more transparent so that it's more available for everyone. Do you see that you're achieving these goals? or on your way to achieve? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, I do that mainly with my work in the industry boards that I'm part of. Then I kind of get the opportunity to lift all the things that I've done at the companies that I coach to lift them to a national perspective. And then we have even more uh, challenges or opportunities to face when we scale everything up. But I think that's such a, a, a nice thing to be a part of because it's kind of a mindset, a shift in behavior and mindset when where we go from not owning our solutions as we did before, but we're kind of sharing them yeah. with everyone. It's more an open source based mm. kind of um, way of thinking. It's very not, <laughs> we're not used to do that kind of thinking in construction industry. Everyone is very owning their own solution because it's usually a service that you can sell later on exactly you make money by because you're unique with your solution and that's how you make money Mm. but now you're introducing the co 
sharing of solutions. Yeah, kind of. Like I want to show that uh, working together is also a factor for the long-termness of a solution. Like the more people you have in creating the solution in the beginning, the more long-term it will be. So just by scaling all the solutions up right now means that CS or my solutions will be the most long-term one. So even if I know that I have to share yeah, my yeah. business idea, I know that more people will use it. We will save the planet probably because our that's what we need to have this exponential change, transition we need. And this is absolutely promising future because uh, promising people like you and change makers are working hard to make it happen. So now if you go back in a time machine and you are allowed to change one thing related to your industry, the construction industry, what will you change? Oh, I would change so much. It's hard to pick one thing. I mean, my first thought was definitely uh, related to some of the deaths that are in the construction industry. I mean, we have some accidents. Some, uh, like, a, just a couple of years ago, quality insurance, work environment issues, we, that was a topic that we never really talked about. That scaled up a lot just in the last couple of years. So I would probably, if I had a time machine, I would go back and make that happening even sooner because mm. that would have saved not only our planet, but actual lives at the construction mm. site. How is it going now? And now Sweden has a death rate of one person a week, I think, or one person in every 10, 10th day. So that's still that's a, a lot. That's a lot. No? Yeah, it's it's not a lot uh, as much as like other countries in the Nordic, but for me it's still insane. Like yeah. we talk about talk about those numbers that is that, but it's not that bad. But I mean, like I'm shocked every time I hear those numbers because one a week is way too many. Yeah, uh, of course. What are the reasons behind this? Um, the reason is. Uh, I called him Alphonse Åberg behavior. Alphonse Åberg is a character that we have in Sweden in, in children uh, children books. He's always about, uh, I'm just going to do this. It will be quick. I'm just going to do this. It will be quick. So it's it's that kind of behavior where you're just very hasty doing something and not really thinking about it. And when you have, uh, that's why I call it Alphonse Åberg risks in construction because that's the high risk that we're doing Maybe you don't get the right safety equipment because you're just, oh, but I'm just going to do that. It will be quick. And then the yeah. injury happens. Mm. So less Alphonse Åberg risks. How do you solve this problem or how do we do it now in Sweden? Right now it's very complex. It's uh, partly about the time pressure that the project leader has to finish the project. They can even encourage people to work hasty and not within safety regulations just because they have a, like a specific yeah. time frame for the project. They, the building needs to be done within this. Um, uh, one other part of it is that we have some kind of modern slavery in Europe where we buy construction workers from, um, like from outside of Europe and they don't... They don't. They are not used to the safety regulations that we have in Sweden. They work as the safety regulations in their home countries, so and then a lot of get wrong as as well. Mm. Uh, I I imagine it's also a language barrier, right? Mm. Yeah, of course, language barriers. I mean, and uh, they don't translate the safety documents, even though 
we don't have only Swedish speaking people yeah, at yeah. the construction site. So it, it's so many wrongs, <laughs> so many wrongs on the construction site. But I think the where we can do most change, if we still want to talk about change making, is about the controls. Like we need to have more physical controls out on the construction site where we check all the IDs, all the ad- identification on the working sites and all the documents. Because usually the projects have a huge document pile. It looks very good on paper. It's <laughs> not really what's happening out outside at the construction site. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I always say as well, that the the requirements or laws that makes change on my desk on that paper tile just making it bigger that's not a real regulation like i want regulation that change the work environment for the construction workers yeah, a, a real one on the site mm. yeah. yeah well let's keep talking about change making and uh, i'm very fascinated about your journey and the very few years you became one of abs- one of absolutely very popular and first in your field Mm. when it comes to change making and sustainability but did i tell you about that in my in my first episode here because it was really about people not believing in me like when i finished my master's i didn't get any jobs because people always thought i was too ambitious i was too uh, like different thinking unique thinking like when you hire a young person you want them to be kind of like foamable <laughs> into their construction identity or um, the company identity but I'm not like that. I have a very specific approach because I know that uh, how they communicate about sustainability is not working. I mean, people yeah. are not changing their behavior. So I I didn't get any jobs. People always thought I was too ambitious. So I kind of just, okay, screw you guys. I and founded my own consultant firm. And that's kind of how it started because then with social media, everything that's how I found people who believed in me because they saw that potential, my my drive, my passion, and it was like, she's gonna go so yeah. far. We need to invest in her right now. You reminded me of my story as well because when I graduated, no one gave me a job because people thought that I'm too much. Mm. Uh, big dreams, you know, want mm. to make a big change. So I, I was really as well like a jobless after the master. Mm. And I was a bit sad because I had to say, uh, other people from my master that were not really creative they directly got a job i'd be like what's exactly. going same on for same for me so i i founded my consultant firm and basically my podcast just to become that bridge from my student life to working life the professional working life. and tell me why why you're doing this uh, It's because you want to be a popular influencer no it's only about social impacting like I I prefer not to be called influencer because I only connect them to like discounts, uh, bleaching your teeth or um, a very com- much consumerism as well. And those are values that I'm the opposite to. So I usually call myself an impactor. Like I will work as a future motivator or something like that. Society transformator. I don't have a good word for it yet. But Sustainability coach. Exactly, like the personal trainer in sustainability, impactor. It's about saving the planet, basically, or saving humanity. And what is your advice to the young people that want... Because now I see, let's talk about Sweden, uh, our market. Uh, I see many young people, very ambitious, and they are trying to change. 
but the aim is most to be like to get so many followers to to be popular what what is your reflections about i think the the thing that you lack of that i see that young people who want to like make it what they don't have is that they don't have a profitable business idea they don't have any uniqueness nerve talent charisma like you need to be so unique and so niched and then you kind of become popular later on (laughs) when you made a change that's kind of how it happened for me like i didn't choose that uh, famedom or whatever to call it it's just something that happens when you have a voice or when you stand up for something and that's going to be hard in the beginning like maybe i think that people really need to reflect on what their values are maybe even words as integrity and self-value. I think integrity is often forgotten. It's not uh, a word that you can associate with yourself. But I associate myself with very high integrity. I have very um, based values that kind of determine everything I do. That's why it gets so easy also when I get awarded as Environmental Innovator of the Year and it doesn't match my value. When I turn that down, it even shows more integrity of what I'm doing. It mm. gives myself value and eventually even more jobs as well. Like turning down to one job or one collaboration will actually give you maybe more jobs. Yeah. Because people will know, they know your values. Exactly. So uh, thinking that the goal is to be famous is not really a wise way of thinking. No, I don't think so. I think creating business that changes the society will eventually get you famous mm. as well. But focusing on um, empowering your community, uh, changing people's lives, and also just lifting others will make a lot of people lifting you as well and look up to you, like become a role model. How is it now? Uh, you're famous, uh, you're getting a lot of invitations, uh, awards. How, how does it feel? Did you think about this when you were a student or when you absolutely started your first day? No, absolutely not. I thought of that it would probably happen because I have very unique ideas, but I thought it would happen maybe when I was 30 or 40. Like I w- I th- I'm 20 yeah. years ahead of my own work plan. And that kind of when I realized how hard I've been working yeah. as well, that I need to uh, chill down <laughs> and just relax and enjoy this journey. So most of the stuff that I don't, I don't plan that much right now i just try to see where all these awards can get me the people i meet them and just trying to relax and enjoy um, i try not to have a rush i think you really well deserve it because you were and you're still working hard so much so this is a kind of also reward to what you do yes so well done amanda thank you but i think it was elon musk who said that I mean, you can accomplish a lot of things working 40 hours uh, a week for six months, but you're likely to accomplish more if you work more. And if you work more than everyone else, you will always be the one who stands out. Exactly. Well, uh, what is your uh, favorite city? You have been in so many different cities and different uh, conferences. What is your favorite one? I think it has to be Gothenburg, my... The city where I live, I don't come from Gothenburg. I moved there. 
But yeah, Gothenburg is the first city in my entire life. Usually I've moved I moved around ever since I was 15 every third or six months to a lot of cities. I lived abroad also for a couple of years. But Gothenburg is the first city where I truly feel home. I felt it the, the, right away when I jumped off the train and just entered the city. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be here for a while. <laughs> the people there are so different. Um, if I'm going to compare it to Stockholm, then Stockholm is a, a small, big city. But Gothenburg is a big, small city. So it's a totally different mindset with the people. It's like living in a huge village. Like everyone says hello, everyone helps out. There's a lot of uh, solidarity and the community is very, very strong. In Stockholm, it's more like you're on your own yeah. and you have to make it on your own for quite some time too before you get into the community here. And Gothenburg is the total opposite around. Well, welcome to the capital, huh? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like being in Stockholm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Stockholm is yeah. very Stockholm is very pretty as an architecture wise compared to Gothenburg. Where is your favorite uh, place in Gothenburg? Like out outdoor place? Outdoor place is called Haga. It's this small neighborhood from the 1600s that they kept a lot of the the wooden architecture on the houses, and it's really cozy. Uh, it reminds me of kind of of Gamla Stan. In Stockholm, but it's even further back. Older. Yeah, even older. Well, awesome. Well, hopefully see you there one one day. Yeah, definitely. For, for a for a coffee. Yes, you are welcome to Gothenburg anytime you want. Thank you so much. Before we finish this fantastic episode, I would love to ask you if you can choose to be an animal. Which animal will you choose and why? I would become a rooster. <laughs> of course, <laughs> a rooster is part of my brand because it's it's kind of like I have a thing now where I can like channel my inner rooster, like my spirit animal, because <laughs> it just stands for so much uh, pride and uh, very colorful as well. The rooster is a very specific leader as well. If you look look on how a rooster eat, for example, is always the last um, to eat in a group. It always let the hens and the chicken eats first, and if there is anything left, then the rooster eats as well. Yeah. So it it's um, a very life philosophy about the rooster, but I like it. Yeah, that's very deep. Can you do the sound of the rooster? No, I cannot. <laughs> oh my god, I need to sh- I need to practice that. Yeah, actually, of yeah. course. Yeah, it's gonna be my new party trick. <laughs> <laughs> well, Amanda, how would you like to summarize what we talked about? Your reflections and three takeaway messages to all the listeners. Oh, we talked about so much, but I think in the in the beginning we talked a lot about um, value based leadership. I think that's a really good key. And uh, if you haven't really heard the term, then you should look it up. It's really helpful if you're young or different or just trying have been trying to get your message across for a long time and it hasn't worked value-based leadership is for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think also the uh, something that we have talked about before is that starting our company, starting our podcast, just starting some project kind of helped us networking and connecting to others that feels the same way that we do. That's kind of how we met. So that's also a good idea to take that step and dare to start your own 
project or business, whatever it can be. And my last tip is, of course, to also channel your inner rooster to become that person who is very uh, humble and just pride, prideful of what you do. Uh, I think your mindset can be a key to unlock your behavior, mm. definitely. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank you. You're I you're am. you're a really good Instagrammer, by the way. Yeah, social media is kind of my one of my things that I'm really really excelled in fast. I saw it as a communication tool, especially like for a business industry that's in construction that is so not digitalized yet. Then social media, if you're good at social media, you get so much power. So I used my uh, social media and all my followers to kind of gain access to the industry that I haven't, I haven't been able to walk in those halls or in those boardrooms if I haven't been on huge profile in social media yeah so the three hashtag will be mm. for this episode or for my work or uh, for this episode for this episode definitely um, construction sustainability i kind of want a hashtag that just says rooster but i don't know how <laughs> how well that would be but also Communication would be one, and nudging would be one. Um, behavior change can be one. So many, but they're very broad. Yeah, not yeah. that specific, but that's kind of how you have to think in hashtagging. The bigger the hashtag already is, the more people will find this episode. A lot of communication tricks here. Yes, Hacks. definitely. <laughs> what is your? Do you have a favorite hashtag that you do? You write in every post on Instagram or not? Truly. Really? No, not really. I kind of change them every time. Yeah. But I have a a tool that kind of helps me find the most popular hashtag in that area and for that specific day or that specific post. Mm. So if I search, for example, business women, then I get the most popular, the 30 most popular hashtags right now about that area. So that's a good tip too. Yeah, great. Well, Amanda, hopefully see you again. And thank you so much for giving your valuable time to record this episode. And thank you so much for having me. It's, I'm so honored to be a guest again on this podcast. And for thank you for being such a great program leader. Thank you. Thank you, Amanda. So thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast season number two. I hope you enjoyed the episode, learned something new and got inspired by the guest. And also please don't forget to share the episode with your friends, colleagues and people you think they are interested in Urbanistica topic. Follow on Instagram account. You will see the stories behind the scenes before and after every episode we record in the podcast. And also don't forget to subscribe the YouTube channel to see the live talks and also to see the vlogs. If you have any feedback or you want to suggest a new topic or nominate a new guest, you can just reach out and write me. You can find me everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and also my email. So feel free to write me and share your thoughts with me. Thank you so much again for listening. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.